I'd encourage you this morning now to take your Bibles, your electronic devices, whatever you might be using, or the Pew Bible in front of you, and join me over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just to give you a heads up where we're going, we are going to finish up chapter 10, and then we're going to take a break leading into Easter. And then through the spring and the summer, we will have a number of different series that we will be doing, and then we will pick up the rest of 1 Corinthians in the fall of this year. But we've worked our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I invite you to follow along with me as I read the first 13 verses. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. May God bless this portion of his scripture that we've read together this morning. Well, he finally got his chance to make the really big sale. It had come down to him and one other company that was making a huge proposal to the executive who was over buying for this company. So as he went into the executive office, uh, everything was ornate in there. Uh, the executive that was in charge of purchasing to whom he was about to make his presentation, had coffee brought in for them. And just as he was getting ready to make his presentation, uh, the executive's assistant came in and whispered something in her ear. 
And the executive said, could you please excuse me for just a moment? There's something I have to go take care of. It'll only take me about two or three minutes, and I will be right back in. So the salesman, as he sat before her desk, was looking around the office, and then he saw on top of her desk was the proposal from the other company. And as he looked at it, he could see that all the figures, the final number for them was on the cover sheet. But he couldn't quite see it because there was a can of Diet Coke sitting on her desk that covered up the number. What should he do? She left it out there in plain view, and he knew if he could just see that number that he could beat it, whatever that number had to be. And so he knew that his time was short, so he reached over and grabbed the can of Diet Coke and temptation. It comes to us all. Oscar Wilde has once jokingly remarked, I can resist everything except temptation. And some of us feel that way. And we're dealing with a passage that is talking about temptation. If you remember last week, if you were here, the Apostle Paul wrote at the end of what we call chapter 9, he said that lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He was concerned that he might do something that would disqualify him from winning the race and winning the prize that was given to those who won. And so he's going to take us back into the Old Testament and give us an illustration of some people who ended up disqualified. He says in verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I want you to know, brothers, about what I am saying to you. And what he's giving them is an example. Verse 6 says, now these things took place as examples for us. Uh, There are those voices in our culture today that are telling us that we could pretty much just get rid of the Old Testament, that it's really not relevant in reaching people today, and it's really not relevant for our needs. I think the Apostle Paul would disagree with that, because in this portion of Scripture, he's giving to us an example from the history of Israel so they can help us so that we can overcome temptation. And so he's going to take us back, and notice what he says. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers. Now, he's writing to Corinth, which is a mixed crowd of Jews and Gentiles. But he is going to refer to Israel in the Old Testament as our fathers. You know, really, to understand the New Testament... We have to have an understanding of the Old Testament. 
The New Testament flows out of the Old Testament. And so the the words of the Old Testament, they're therefore examples for us to instruct us and to guide us. And Paul says, I want you, I don't want you to be unaware of this. He said, our fathers, meaning that Christianity today, believers flow out of Judaism from the Old Testament. He says, our fathers were all under the cloud. Now, what does that mean? Well, the children of Israel left Egypt. A group of about three to three and a half million, or what the estimates are, went with Moses as he was leading them to the promised land. And he says that all these individuals were under the cloud. God led the nation of Israel through his Shekinah glory. There was a cloud by day, and there was a pillar of fire by night. But also we learn from Psalm uh, 105, verse 39, that this cloud also provided a covering for the nation of Israel. Have you ever been out on one of those days when the sun is just beating down on you, beating down on you, and you just wish that there was kind of a cloud that would be there? Have you noticed the difference that when the sun is behind a a cloud, the day doesn't seem quite as hot as when the sun is building, is is beating down on you? Now, I know that that's a rare uh, occurrence here in Northeast Ohio, that the sun is constantly beating down on us. But as the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, that would be the occasion of the sun beating down upon them, and God gave them that covering of the cloud. They all got that covering from the crowd. And he says, and all were baptized into Moses. Well, what does it mean they were baptized into Moses? It means that they followed after Moses. They were baptized in him. See, the word baptism is not translated in our English versions. In almost all of our English versions, they have done what's known as a transliteration. They've taken the Greek word baptizo and just put it in to the English verses and turned it into an English word. The word baptize means to to dip. It was the word that they used when they were dyeing a garment. They would dip it completely into the dye. It was, actually, it was also a word that was used for a ship that had sunk at sea. They would say it was baptized by the sea and that it was underneath the waters. And so as we study the meaning of the word baptism and the commands of Scripture, that's why when we baptize, we totally immerse the individual because that is the meaning of the word. Now, speaking of baptism, just for a second, I'm going to go off here on a little rabbit trail. The question is, have you been baptized into Christ? All the Israelites were baptized into Moses in that they were underneath the cloud and when they passed through the sea. But have you been, as a believer, have you identified with Christ? That's the New Testament way of identifying with Christ. It's by being baptized. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, see, baptism won't get you saved. It's only one way to be saved, 
And that's by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting your faith and trust in him. But baptism is a picture of what has happened to us on the inside. It's an outward picture of the inside reality. And so if you're here and you name Christ and you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized. If you're here and you're a Christian and all that's happened to you is when you were a baby, you were sprinkled, you need to be baptized. Because as a baby, you did not make a profession of faith. And this is believer's baptism. And so I just challenge you, call the office this week. Uh, You heard earlier, we have nine already uh, set to be baptized on Easter. You can join them. And what better day to make your public profession of faith than on Easter Sunday morning. So I encourage you, call the office this week or see Steve this morning. Steve, stand up for a second. He's right here. Will you be right there at the end of the service, Steve? All right, he'll be here. You want to get baptized? You come and see Steve at the end of the service. Right? All the Israelites, they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. That's a reference to the Red Sea that God divided. And we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. There are five different statements in this passage that is going to talk about what all of them did together. They all ate of the same spiritual food. Now, what's he talking about there? Spiritual food. Uh, Most of us, when we go to lunch today, are not going to sit down at the meal and say, oh, I'm so thankful for the spiritual food that I have right here. And we know from the Old Testament that God provided them with manna. And at times he provided them with quail for them to eat. So what does it mean? It's spiritual food. It's spiritual because God provided it. And it's a reality when you and I sit down to lunch today, whatever we are to partake of, ultimately it's a provision from God. And because it's a provision from God, it's spiritual food. God has provided it for us. And so all the Israelites ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So they all ate of the same spiritual food. They all had the same spiritual drink. And once again, we know from the Old Testament, it was physical drink. It was water that was provided by God. Now, there's an interesting statement here in the passage that many believe that the Apostle Paul is referring to a legend, and a legend doesn't mean it was not true. It might be true, it might not be true, but it says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. You know, among the Jews, and I, this is the first time I'd ever heard this this week, but among the Jewish people, many of them believe that as the children of Israel were moving through the wilderness, that the rock that provided water for them followed after them. That a physical rock followed after them. The very first rolling stone, that this stone was following them as they went through the wilderness. 
Verse 5, it says, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now that is an understatement, that with most of them God was not pleased. Because there were only two of that generation that made it into the promised land. So two out of three to three and a half million, when Paul writes, most of them God was displeased with, is quite an understatement. That only two, Joshua and Caleb, among that generation, got to go in to the promise land. And then he says in verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us. Examples of what? A lesson that we need to learn. And in the end of verse 6 says that we might not desire evil as they did. Paul's saying those who passed away in the wilderness desired evil. Even though they had all of these benefits from God, their food, their water, a cloud over their heads, their identification with Moses going through the Red Sea, in spite of all of those benefits, they desired evil. And Paul says, let them be an example to us that we do not desire evil as they did. Well, how did they desire evil? Well, Paul is going to tell us. He breaks down what it meant that they desired evil. He says in verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law from God? And while he's up on the mountain, his right-hand man, Aaron, is back in the camp. And the people become worried that Moses might not be coming back. And so they pressure Aaron to make for them golden calf to represent the God who brought them out of Egypt. And then they had a big celebration around it. So much so that God had to uh, break short his meeting with Moses and send Moses back down to take care of this issue that was going on in the camp. They chose, in spite of all that God was providing for them, they chose to worship an idol. He goes on. In verse 8, he says... We must not indulge in sexual immorality. Most think this is a reference to Numbers chapter 25, where the people were engaging in sexual sin with the women of Moab. And Paul says, and some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Now, critics of the Bible have ceased upon this and said, okay, here's one of those mistakes in the Bible. The book of Numbers says it was 24,000 who perished. And Paul says it was 23,000. 
But notice the language of Paul very quickly. There's a very easy explanation for this. 23,000 died in one day. And another 1,000 died the following day. So it was a total of 24,000 who had died. Why? Because of sexual immorality that was going on. So do not desire evil. Don't desire idolatry. And idolatry means putting anyone or anything before God. It doesn't have to be just an image you set up in your home. It's an idol if you put it before God. And the great danger in our culture and in our society is that we make an idol out of materialism. We make an idol out of possessions. We make an idol out of money. We make an idol out of fame. And we put that first. That's an idol. And then the whole issue of sexual immorality. We live in a sex-charged culture where we are told basically, do your own thing. It doesn't matter. Well, that was the attitude in Israel, and it brought the judgment of God. He goes on in verse 9 and says, we must not put Christ to the test. We mustn't test God. Now, what does it mean that they tested Christ? They put him to the ground. They tested Christ in that they were not thankful for the provision of God. If you go back and you read the account that is taking place here in Numbers chapter 21, this people spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. They were complaining about their food, complaining about their, their water supply. They're putting God to the test. And so he sent fiery serpents among them. And those that were stung by those serpents died. Now God made a provision for them. And that there was a serpent put on a pole and put in the camp that whoever looked at it would live. But they had judgment upon them due to their testing of God. Then the fourth way that Paul gives us that they desired evil, verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now this is coming from Numbers chapter 16 where it says all the congregation of the sons of Israel groaned, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Saying, why did you bring us out here? You just brought us out here to die. And because of their grumbling and complaining, the destroyer, and that seems to be the assignment of a certain angel who's called the destroyer, destroyer sent a plague that killed 14,700 of them. This is the same destroyer who, when they left Egypt, went through and struck the firstborn of everyone in Egypt that did not have the blood on the doorposts of their house. This is the same angel, the destroyer, 
who in 2 Samuel 24, when David sins against God and counts the people, will come and kill a number of the Israelites. And the same angel who in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 wipes out the entire Assyrian army. It's called the destroyer. And Paul says to us, we are not to grumble. So look at those things. We're not to commit idolatry. We're not to engage in sexual immorality. We are not to test Christ. And we are not to grumble because God views all of that as desiring evil. Now, following this, he gives us the warning. Look at verse 11. Now, these things happen to them as an example. Once again, a reminder to it, this is an example to us on how we should live our lives so that we won't be disqualified and so that we can bring glory to God. All these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Paul says he's writing to the people there in Corinth who were living in the end of the ages. They were living in the end of the ages. We continue to live in the end of the ages. It's that period of time before Christ comes back. That's the end of the ages. And he says in verse 12, Therefore, because of all this, Find my place here. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, take heed lest he fall. Don't miss this warning. The warning is this you can fall. You can fall. I can fall. Every Christian leader is capable of falling. If we put our guard down, if we take our eyes off the prize that we are running for in the race, we can fall. You know, sometimes I see in Christian leaders something that concerns me very much, and that's an arrogance. An arrogance that in some ways they present themselves that they're better than others. They don't face the same temptation as others do. And they are not in danger of falling. Listen to the words of Paul. Are you standing right now? Is everything all right in your life with Christ right now? Praise the Lord, but you're capable of falling. You're capable. Of falling. Some of the best men and women in the Bible faced temptation and fell. You have Eve, who ate of the fruit in the garden. Adam, who joined his wife in her disobedience to God. You have Abraham, who lied about his wife, Sarah. You have Sarah, who lied to God when she laughed, when it was said that she was going to have a child at old age, and she said, oh, I didn't, I didn't laugh. And he says, oh, but you did. Lot compromised himself in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jacob is known as the supplanter, the cheater. 
from being in his mother's womb to characterize through most of his life, he was known as the cheater, Jacob. Moses, in a fit of anger, struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Elijah complained to God. David committed adultery and followed that up with murder to cover over his sin. Jonah ran away from God. Peter denied the Lord. John Mark deserted on a missions trip. Let him that stands take heed, lest he also fall. That's a warning for us. Now, the good thing is, you say, Butch, where is the good in that? Let me tell you, here's the good. If you're sitting here and you're saying this morning, oh man, it's too late for me. I've really messed up, Butch. I've given in to temptation. I've committed those sins that were being talked about. It's too late for me. No, it's not too late for you. The encouragement is this, that those great men of God and great women of God from the Old Testament who made mistakes and fell and gave in to temptation were just like you and me. They're not super saints. And so if they could fall into sin, we know that we are in good company, right? And if we are in good company, we know that we can be in right relationship with God by confessing our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can fall. Next, the encouragement. Verse 13. We're all capable of falling. And I think that's one of the first steps in defeating temptation is knowing that we are capable of giving in to it. Now let's make something clear. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And sometimes Christians put a load of guilt upon themselves when they are being tempted. Temptation does not equal sin. It's the giving in to the temptation that makes it sin. And there is a difference. We are all going to be tempted as we live in this world. And hey, I've got news for you. Even if you move in a cave all by yourself, there are still going to be temptations that are going to come to but Paul tells us, there has no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you. Now, the word overtaken means to get a grasp on you. No temptation that has gotten a grasp on you, all of them, is common to man. You are not by yourself in the temptation you are facing. Others have faced the same temptation, the same types of temptation. And he says, God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. 
He doesn't leave us to ourselves. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Temptations may come, but God has put the boundaries around you that says this is how far temptation can go with you. Remember the story of Job in the Old Testament? Satan can't do anything to Job that God does not allow. God sets the boundaries around us. There's no temptation going to come to you that others have not had to deal with. No temptation is going to come to you that is beyond your ability. So let's think that through for a second. You know what that means? I don't have an excuse when I sin. I can't say, oh, the devil made me do it. Because God has set the limits and he knows what Butch personally can bear. He knows what you can bear. And nothing's going to come to you that other people haven't had to deal with. And nothing's going to come to you that is beyond your ability to handle. So I never have an excuse for sinning. And you don't have an excuse for sinning because God is faithful. And he says, but with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. With every temptation, there's a way out. Now, sometimes that just means leaving. We have the example of that of Joseph in the Old Testament. Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him. And what did he have to do? He had to run out of the house. He didn't stay in the house and say, okay, how close can I come to Potiphar's wife without sinning? No, God provided a way of escape, and he took the way of escape. And God is going to provide a way of escape for each and every one of us in every single temptation we face. Because he is faithful. And if you believe that God is faithful, and you believe his word, there is always going to be the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Remember, the temptation is not a sin. The sin is giving in to the temptation. So there the salesman sat. There's the contract that the other salesman has offered. She probably won't notice, he thought. If I just move that diet soda over so that I can see what that final number looks like. And as he reached and grabbed the can and slightly picked it up, he discovered it wasn't really a can of diet soda. It was filled with BBs. And when he lifted the can, the BBs went all over the floor and all over the desk. It was a test for him. 
a temptation to see what he would do. For the executive buyer wanted to deal with someone she could trust. And he failed. And he lost the contract. There was a way out. He just had to stay in his seat and not touch that Coke can. And friends, there's a way out for us when temptation comes.